Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We're in the book of Proverbs this summer, looking at some different passages. You can't just preach verse by verse through Proverbs because of all the different subjects that it covers. But you may notice in the title today, all of the chapters I'm covering, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 27, and 29. I hope you brought your lunch. (laughs) We're going to talk about something that's going to be on everybody's heart, anger. I hope by the end of the service, all of you will be angry. Just kidding. Anger can be good and bad. In a moment, I'll I'll begin in chapter 14 of Proverbs, but I've got a few things to share with you first. Andy came to work one day. He was limping badly. And one of his coworkers, Josh, noticed it and said, Andy, what happened to you? Andy said, well, it's nothing. It's just an old hockey injury that acts up every now and then. And and Josh said, wow, I, I didn't know that you played hockey. And he said, well, I don't, and I didn't. I heard it last year when I lost $500 on the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I put my foot through the television. <laughs> a, few years, a few years ago, a lady in Arkansas called the local police department, and she said, is there a penalty for fighting? And if so, how much is it? Sergeant said, well... You could be charged with assault and battery, and the fine is $500. She said, oh, I want to beat up my sister, but I don't think I can afford it. (laughs) You're going to get mad. Some of you may be mad. Some of you may be mad now because somebody was in your seat. (laughs) It's interesting. Dr. Walter Cannon, the researcher at Harvard University, described an angry person. Here's here's his description. Respiration deepens. The heart beats more rapidly. The arterial pressure rises. The blood is shifted from the stomach and intestines to the heart, central nervous system, and the muscles. The processes of the alimentary canal cease. Sugar is freed from the reserves in the liver. The spleen contracts and discharges its contents of concentrated corpuscles, and adrenaline is secreted. Did you realize all that was going on when you got angry? 60% of the homicides are committed by angry family members. We're living in a world that is seething with anger. There's a type of anger that is sinful, but it's also unhealthy. Dr. Redford Williams, director of Duke University's Behavioral Medicine Research Center, States, and I quote, the hostility and anger associated with type A behavior is the major contributor to heart disease in America. People who have problems with anger are five times as likely to suffer coronary heart disease as the average person. People act irrationally when they are angry. Some people say they cannot control their anger, and that is not true, because I'm going to prove it to you in just a moment. But first, let's talk about 
the anger that is good and bad. First, there's a good kind of anger. Well, let's talk about the modes of anger or the types of anger. Not all anger is bad. The Lord Jesus got angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and sin not, which means you can be angry without sinning. I guess you could say it this way. You can be good and mad. (laughs) That's not usually how you refer to it though, is it? There's an anger that I'm going to call sanctified anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place. That is a foothold or an opportunity to the devil. Now, there's a lot of biblical examples. I'll share with you a few. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. And the Bible speaks over a hundred times about the anger of God, and yet God does not sin. Moses demonstrated righteous anger when the people, after he came down from the mountain receiving the tablets from God, and they were rebelling with the golden calf, Exodus 32, 19 says, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. David demonstrated a righteous anger when Goliath mocked God, the true God of Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men and who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Jesus demonstrated righteous anger when the Pharisees didn't want him to heal a man on the Sabbath. Mark 3, 5. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus demonstrated righteous anger when his disciples were trying to stop people from bringing their children to him. Mark 10, 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. I don't have to read to you the passage in Mark 5, excuse Mark 11, 15 to 17, where Jesus came into Jerusalem and he drove out the money changers. He didn't come in there and say, would you guys please leave? No, he came in and drove them out and he wouldn't let them bring it back in. Righteous anger. You see, Jesus got angry, but his his anger was never triggered by his own mistreatment. In fact, the only time Jesus became angry was when God was being dishonored or others were being mistreated or wronged. It was never selfish. We sh- I get angry when I think of innocent lives being taken. I get angry when, and when innocent people are killed in the name of religion. I get angry when people try to redefine what God intended marriage to be and so forth. I'm not angry at the people. Well, some I might be when they kill an innocent people. But the fact is there's a righteous anger today. We ought to be angry at the direction our country is going morally and spiritually speaking. Unfortunately, most of our anger is not righteous, but it's selfish and sinful. 
And when we examine the root cause of our anger, we often discover that it has to do with our rights being violated. All of us have a list of expectations we expect other people to meet, and when those are not met, we become angry. We get angry about our jobs, and sometimes about our marriages, or sometimes about the church, or sometimes about the neighbors, or whatever. It's most of the time we've been violated or or it's selfish. Now, if righteous anger does good rather than harm, then sinful anger does harm rather than good. So let's look at the other kind, sinful anger. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Here we go. Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. Have you ever done something stupid when you're angry? Don't answer that. Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who's able to stand before jealousy? Proverbs 29, 8, scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. There's an old Arab proverb that says, anger is the wind that blows out the lamp of the mind. Pretty much so. There's another proverb that says, a chip on the shoulder usually indicates there's a lot more wood a little higher up. (laughs) And I love what Chuck Swindoll said. I got so angry that I gave him a piece of my mind and it was a piece that I couldn't afford to lose. How do you know? How do you know if your anger is sinful? Let me give you some indications of it. First of all, it will be unrighteous. Anger directed towards a person. Not what they've done, but toward them. You see, you can be mad at the sin and not angry or hateful to the sinner. And, and when we lose our temper and we begin to talk before we think, we say slanderous things to people that we may even love. We say, I hate you. I wish we'd never gotten married. Or you're such a miserable child. You'll never amount to anything. And we speak all kinds of cruel, harsh, cutting words that we don't even mean. Let me tell you, when you speak, when you're angry, you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. You regret it. It's, un, it's unrighteous. It's toward a person. Anger is sinful when it is unjustified. Jesus, it's anger without a sufficient cause. Jesus spoke of a man who was angry with his brother without cause. If you don't have a righteous reason for anger, it's sinful anger. A righteous reason, and I mentioned to you some of those. I got amused that during a football game, the referee called a 15-yard penalty on the defense for unnecessary roughness. 
And after the ref had paced off 15 yards and repositioned the ball, the defensive player who was responsible for that foul walked up to him and shouted at him and said, you are a sorry referee. I think you stink. Without a word, referee picked up the ball, marched down 15 more yards, put the ball down and turned toward that young man and said, how do I smell from here? Sinful anger is also unremitting or unrelenting, however word you want to use. Anger that seeks vengeance. You want to get revenge, it's sinful anger. And all of us have wanted to get that at times, haven't we? I I remember the time. Now, it's gotten better because I think some of you probably worked there. So let let me clarify what I'm about to say. But I remember days when I was a teenager in El Dorado, Arkansas, when you went to get your auto tags renewed, I'd rather had a tooth pulled. It was horrible. Hours. Incompetence. I'm talking about El Dorado now, not here. I can relate to Glenn Vaughn. He said after spending three and a half hours enduring long lines, rude clerks, and insane regulations at the Department of Motor Vehicles. After being there three and a half hours, I stopped at a toy store to pick up a gift for his son, he said. I I brought my selection, a baseball bat, to the cash register. The clerk said, cash or charge? Cash! I spied it off. And then I apologized for my rudeness. I said, look, I'm sorry. I spent the entire afternoon at the Motor Vehicle Bureau. The woman sweetly said, shall I gift wrap the bat or are you going back over there? (laughs) You have felt that way, haven't you? So all of us have. But you know what? Instead of getting even with people who've hurt us, we ought to get even with people who've helped us. That's totally different. Sinful anger is also unwavering. It's cherished. It, people hang on to it. It's almost like they're mad and they're proud of it and they don't want to ever get rid of it. You ever met anybody like that? They just, they're just mad all the time. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And sinful anger is also unforgiving. Anger that is bitter, if you have an unforgiving spirit, you are having sinful anger. The scripture says that. We are to forgive. The Holy Spirit in us helps us to forgive people. But bitterness becomes a root. And, and when it roots down in there, everything else gets angry. It just, it just shows up everywhere. All of this is types of sinful anger. And that's not an exhaustive list, but you kind of get the idea. Most of it is selfish. Most of it is the fact that we're offended or we didn't get what we wanted or whatever. Most of us don't get really mad at righteous anger, but I think Christians do. I think, we're, I think in the country we're seeing things that we're proud that of some changes that are coming about. I'm thankful for the Supreme Court's decision about innocent life. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it means it's harder to happen. Well, there's a righteous anger, a sanctified anger, and I gave you some examples. Jesus, Moses, David, 
But let's, and there's sinful anger, but let's talk for a few minutes about the management of anger. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Let me give you some ways to manage your anger. It's not an exhaustive list, but it at least get you started. First of all, you manage your anger patiently. You ignore petty disagreements. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contentions before a quarrel starts. Proverbs 17, 27, he who has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Proverbs 19, 11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. And then Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame to him. We get angry over the silliest things. I know what I'm talking about because I've done it too. Is it really worth getting angry over? At one point in a baseball game, Little League baseball game, the coach said to one of his young players, do you understand what cooperation is, what a team is? The little boy nodded in the affirmation. Affirmative. Do you, do you understand that what matters is that we win or lose together as a team? Yes, sir. So when a strike is called and you're out at first or you're out at first or you, you don't argue or curse or attack the umpire, do you understand all that? Again, boy, a little nodded. Yes. He said, well, good. Now go over there and explain that to your mom and dad. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for those of you who are guilty. Sports does not bring out the best in us. That Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame to him. One little boy, his mom, he, he was kind of known to misbehave and his mom was sending him to a birthday party that was around the corner and she warned him. She said, I've told Mrs. Jones that if you misbehave, to send you home early, and I'm going to punish you for coming home early. So he went off to the birthday party, and in about 15 minutes, he was back. She flew off the handle, took him up, whipped him good, and then she sat him down there and said, what did you do that Mrs. Jones sent you home? He said, I didn't do anything. The party's not till tomorrow. <laughs> but how many times have we flown off the handle before we ever heard anything. We do, don't we? Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, it's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see 
a man hasty in his words, there's more hope for a fool than for him. You, how you express your anger is a chosen response. No one can make you angry. Did you know that? You choose how you respond. I can prove it. You're in the middle of a good heated argument. You're not coming to blows, but I mean, you're letting each other have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're mad and you're letting them go off. And all of a sudden, your cell phone goes off. Hello? Can I get a witness here? I know I'm right. You can control your anger. It's a chosen response. Problem is, we don't want to turn it off. In May, May the 15th, 1894, some of you may have been at this ball game. The Baltimore Orioles came to Boston, and I've forgotten the name. It wasn't the Boston Braves. It was before Boston Braves, Boston Bean something. May have been bean eaters. I don't know. <laughs> I need to look it up. I should have looked it up before I came up here. Anyway, standard ball game. Baltimore Orioles and Boston. They came to Boston. In the middle of the game, the Orioles... I think first baseman, I think John McGraw was the first baseman, got into a fight with the third baseman on the Boston team. Well, it wasn't long before both benches cleared. And then it went into the stands. The fans began to fight. So much so, they don't know to this day how the fire started, but a fire started and everybody was so busy fighting before they realized that the fire was out of control. People fled for their lives. The stadium burned down. Plus, 160 to 170 homes and businesses burned over a stupid fight. You see, we need to learn a little bit of patience in this country. We've lost it. Folks, do you remember... Do you remember when internet started? And to get on the internet, you had to dial a number. And it went, <laughs> made all that noise. And then it hooked up. Now, if you don't get instant access, what's wrong with this? You get that little wheel that turns. And then what happens? You get angry. Patiently. It's time to bring a little patience back. Scripture indicates that. You also deal with your anger privately. You resolve disagreements with others immediately. Learn to resolve your anger quickly. The book of Ephesians says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4, 26 and 7. There's an old Latin proverb based on this verse that says, he who goes angry to bed has the devil for a bedfellow. Marshall Chagall said to refuse 
To surrender our anger is to welcome the devil to wreak havoc in our hearts and relationships. You're never weaker than when you're angry. When you're angry, don't stay angry, but resolve it. Pray about it. Talk about it to a friend. Take a bath or a shower. Go for a walk, but don't let your anger build and burn. Take care of it before sun goes down. If you can, one pastor said, talk it out, pray it out, walk it out. But don't try to sleep it out. It doesn't work. Sometimes you just tell the other person, look, I don't want to be angry. Let's work this out. Sometimes that's all it takes. But you go to the person. Do it privately. A third way to deal with your anger is personally. Ask forgiveness from those you offend with your anger. (laughs) Have you ever offended anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a friend or an employee or an employer or a spouse or even your children. And when we offend them, Don't just let it drop. You know, there's two ways. You can say things two different ways. Just to give you an idea. You can say to a woman, you look like a breath of spring. Or you can say to her, you look like the end of a long, hard winter. (laughs) Same thing. You can say to her, when I look into your face, time stands still. Or you can say you've got a face that'd stop a clock. <laughs> Sometimes we say things the wrong way and we offend people. Matthew 5, 23, Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there before the altar and go your way, be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come out and offer your gift. You ask for forgiveness. You say, I'm sorry and mean it. But you also practice forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you personally. Don't be one of those knuckleheads that never says, I'm sorry. That is nothing manly. That just shows how weak you really are. If you can't ever admit you're wrong and you can't ever ask for forgiveness, something wrong with you. You can handle your anger proactively. Refuse to associate and hang out with angry people. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four: make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Doesn't mean you're unfriendly to people, but there are some people you just don't hang out with. You ever met any of those people? They're just mad all the time. They never smile. They're just angry. Well, they're a lot of fun to be around, but don't hang out with them. It'll rub off on you. And I'm not saying being ugly to them, but they're just not going to be your best friend. That's what the scripture says. One man explained to his friend, he said, my younger brother had quite a temper. Our parents tried extra love, attention, and patience on him with little success. 
Then in the middle of one of his tantrums, they simply handed him a shovel, pointed to the backyard and instructed him to go out and dig and not to come back until he's controlled his anger. The man said, well, did it work? And he said, apparently therapy worked because he's turned out nicely. What does he do for a living? He builds in-ground swimming pools. <laughs> Maybe you need to channel it the right way. I promise you, you're going to meet people whose favorite meal is stew. They stew about everything. They swallow up every offense and it just boils on the inside. Don't hang out with them. Especially if you're already mad, do not get with them. Finally, you can handle your anger prudently. Learn to differentiate, that is to separate between the rights and responsibilities. Now, you're not going to like this one, but I want you to listen carefully to it. You see, the chief source of anger is unmet expectations. And sometimes you need to learn to give up your rights, not your responsibilities, but transfer your rights to God. That's what Jesus did. You ever been stuck behind a driver on the interstate going 50 miles an hour? and you're angry because the speed limit's 75, you see, you have the right to go 75 miles an hour, but that knucklehead in front of you is keeping you from your rights. Or today, if you go to a restaurant after church and all the other groups have beaten you there and you're on a waiting list and you see this other couple or family come in behind you and they get seated before you. Is it really worth getting that mad about? There's a sign on a vending machine on a U.S. Navy vessel that said, if the machine is out of order, please contact the vending machine operator. Do not bang on this machine. He is not inside. Jesus gave his rights to God. Philippians 2, 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death, of a cross. Let me tell you about a man who had every right to be angry at the way he was treated. He was a good man, a teacher of God's law, a man who helped those in need. And he got angry only when he saw injustice in the world. He never had a great education. He never held public office. He never wrote a book. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. His family thought he was a bit strange. They never really understood why he did what he did or why he said what he said. When he started his ministry, the powers that be at first found him a nuisance, later a threat. They sent their best people to try and trip him up on technicalities, but it never worked. He was too smart to be fooled by slick questions, but every time he made them look foolish, it made them matter. Eventually, they decided that he must be killed, but because he was so popular with the common people, they just couldn't arrest him haphazardly. They had to find a reason, 
a plausible excuse, something that would give them a cover for their dirty deeds. And finally, the leaders decided to make their move. They found a man among his followers, his treasurer, no less, who was willing to sell him out in exchange for a handful of money. The deal was struck, the time was set, the plan was made. It all went like clockwork and the good man was arrested. Five times he was tried before four different judges. The charges weren't really clear, but it was something about blasphemy and then something about treason. At one hearing, the witnesses openly contradicted one another, but it didn't matter. So great was their hatred, so deep their anger, so fierce their rage that truth didn't count. This man must die, they said. He was cruelly beaten, ridiculed, spat upon, mocked, humiliated, tortured until his flesh hung in ribbons, beaten until he was barely conscious, stripped naked, condemned to die, forced to carry the instrument of his own death. And outside the city walls near a limestone quarry with a strange face of skull outlined on the side of a cliff, the good man was put to death. It was an awful scene, proof that the human mind is capable of the very worst atrocities. He didn't say much that day, only about seven or eight sentences. Do you remember the first words he said from the cross? How could you ever forget them? He looked down, his chest heaving, the sun beating down on his fevered, bleeding brow, his face a mass of blood and tears, his hands and feet dripping blood from the nail holes. He saw the laughter. He heard the jeers. He knew that they were laughing at him. He had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve this. He closed his eyes as if in prayer. And then he looked again at the howling wild mob. I said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. I'm so glad that Jesus said those words because it shows that forgiveness is always possible. Jesus showed us how to respond to those who offend us. 1 Peter 2, 23, Peter describes Jesus, he says, who when he was reviled, that's the harshest verbal abuse, reviled, did not revile in return, but when he, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. All Jesus would have had to have done is nodded toward heaven. And the angels would have annihilated everybody. But he didn't. And he said, if I can do that for you, you can forgive whatever offense has been done to you. How? You see, not everybody can do this. I'll tell you why. Because it's not natural. The natural man is dead in his sin, his trespasses. The natural thing to do is to hit back, to get even for revenge. But when you ask God to forgive you and you realize that your sin has separated you from God, 
And the only hope that you have is for somebody to have died in your place, which was Jesus, the sinless one, and that he rose again the third day. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you know what happens? God immerses you in the righteousness and the forgiveness of Christ, and he puts his spirit in you. And guess what? He really messes up your anger when he does that. Because one of the fruits of the spirit is meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It means that you're the same individual you had. In fact, the word was used, praetis, to put a bit in a horse's mouth, to bring him under control. It's the same horse, the same looks, the same power, the same strength, just brought under control. Your emotions, your will, brought under control by the Holy Spirit. And you can forgive. And you can love, and you can be patient, and you can be long-suffering because the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. People who don't know Jesus can't do this. Religion doesn't do this for you. Church membership doesn't do this for you. Only a relationship with Jesus, him living in us. Amen? You see... The only way you can forgive people is by the power of the Holy Spirit in you because he puts love and forgiveness in our heart. The same one who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm talking about having committed your life to him. He's in the control center of your life, the heart. He's there. If you don't know him, you need to do that. You can be a professional churchgoer and not know Jesus. You can be a religious person and not know him, but you can know him today. And if you're watching us online or you're seeing us on television, then you need to understand that we're not about religion here. We're about Jesus Christ because only he can change the hearts and lives of people. This room is full of people who've been forgiven Amen. and saved and have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so if you don't know him, you got a choice to make. Just like I said, you can choose how you respond to anger. Well, uh, the Lord has put all of this stuff in front of us. He's, he's given us the word of God. He's given us the church. He's given us praying family. He's put all kinds of obstacles that people are walking around on the road to hell because they're already headed that way. And he's trying to get their attention. And when they stop and realize, you know what? God's trying to save me. You come and you ask Christ to come into your life. You can do that now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing us how to respond when you were so horribly mistreated. Help us to be that way. I lift up those who've never received Christ. And right now, whether it's a man, woman, boy, or girl, that need to be saved from their sin, forgiven of their sin, that you would show them how much you love them in spite of their sin. No matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, that the chains can come off today. And I pray they come to you asking you to forgive them and committing and placing their faith and trust in you. <laughs> Lord, thank you for a church this big hospital for sinners. There's no perfect person in here. But thank you for a sweet place where people 
honor you and love you. Thank you for helping change our lives and changing them. I lift up those who need to stand up courageously and say, I've followed Jesus with my life, but I've never been baptized, and I want people to know that I am a follower of Jesus. I pray, God, you put courage in their heart to be obedient to you. And I lift up those today who came in here mad, angry. Maybe it's somebody in their family. Maybe at the injustice at work. Maybe somebody hurt their feelings when they walked in the building. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to lay it down, to walk out of here with joy in our heart, knowing that we've been forgiven in you. Help us to forgive other people, no matter what they've done. 